Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by apprentices of the First Voice Media Apprenticeship Program here at KPFA. I'm your host tonight, Ron Thompson, with special thanks to Miss M, my colleagues Kumba Voses, and Full Circle for affording me the opportunity to produce another edition of Montage. Tonight's show is entitled Stretches and Adjustments, where I will discuss with my guest some of the other components under the umbrella of alternative health. We'll take a look now at how yoga, dance, and the chiropractic sciences may contribute to the overall health of an individual. Now, that contribution is through movement, posture positions, and bone realignment. And in some cases, it serves to maintain flexibility, mobility, and fluid movement through after-treatment care dealing with bones and joints, muscles and nerve issues, and also the benefits of yoga breathing and meditation. We'll now explore the nature of healing that promotes what has been termed wellness or well-being. We'll see that well-being or wellness is a general term for the condition of an individual or group. For example, the social, economic, psychological, spiritual, or meditative state and medical state. The higher levels of well-being means in some senses that the individual or the group's condition is positive, while low well-beingness is associated with negative happenings. So please, stay tuned with me.
Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. And if you've just tuned in, tonight our show is Stretches and Adjustments. We talk about your bones, joints, muscles, nerves, and your state of mind. And the music that you just heard was Najee. That was Najee Day by Day. And I'd like to also uh, say we're going to talk a little bit about saxophone players. Uh, but this show tonight is dedicated to all in vibrating distance with aches and pains that may be or very well could be alleviated to some degree by bone adjustments and the stretching out of tight, taut muscles through placing your body in one of the various time-tested yoga poses called, in Sanskrit, asanas. Or, as my guest, uh, Ms. Sophia, will correct me if I didn't pronounce that right. But I want to say that everywhere on the planet, someone is gaining just a little bit more flexibility and comfort for themselves through getting into and holding a yoga pose and breathing into meditations and affirmations to gain mental and emotional elevation to lift one up a few notches inside themselves to even a higher esteem for themselves and for others. Now, that ability to alter your mental and emotional state is as close to you as your breath. We talk first to my first guest, Miss Sophia Thompson, who brings to us an understanding of her strain of yoga called Vinyasa Yoga. As she explains how she also helps to change states of mind and being through movement with her dance company called Bahia Movement. Greetings and welcome to Montage, Sophia. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's my great pleasure to do that. And I want to also say at this point, welcome to Mr. Quayley to Tashinda. Thank you, Ryan. For some reason, I don't think I pronounced your first name correctly. Quayley's fine. Yes, yes. thank you. It's been a long time since I've seen you, brother, and and uh, very good to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome very much. Afia, we want to take a look first at what vinyasa yoga is and how it differs from some of the other yogas. But... And, and then we'll address some of the commonly asked questions about yoga. But first, tell me about how, what vinyasa yoga is, and how that's, how that's, how that uh, uh, differs from hatha. Let's say. Well, hatha is the actual umbrella. Well, vinyasa comes out of the hatha umbrella, I mm-hmm. should say. So. Most people may say, um, what is Hatha or how, what does it mean? Again, Hatha encompasses most all of the yoga styles. Uh, if we're looking at um, Iyengar, Bikram, uh, Vinyasa, those styles come out of the Hatha yoga umbrella. Vinyasa is the pairing of breath with movement. So you have your kind of like an ebb and flow of what vinyasa is. So vinyasa is when you are breathing in, bringing breath into your body with one movement posture, an asana, and then bringing the 
breath out, relieving toxin, and that's going into another asana pose. So that's the vinyasa flow. So that's where the flow comes in. So vinyasa flow is the ebb and flow of breath in with posture and breath out with posture. Very good. Thank you. I did not know that. People ask a lot about yoga, and they want to know, uh, if I'm a vegetarian, should I practice yoga, or do I have to be a vegetarian to practice yoga? No, no. You can definitely be a meat eater if you want. Um, We don't really go into what types of vegetarian dietary that you, you know, want to intake when practicing yoga. However, once you start to really, really, really get into the study of the history of yoga, you're probably going to start wanting to change your diet because it is it's not only just a, a physical practice, it becomes a mental practice. It becomes being able to understand how your body feels and why it's making your body feel that way. So when you do become um, a yogi practitioner where you're practicing yoga quite often, then you're going to start feeling how different foods affect your body as you start to practice your yoga. So you want to think about, am I eating, you know, heavy, greasy, weighed down foods or I'm going to eat foods that's going to nourish, bring nutrition to my body while I'm also bringing physical nutrition to my body. Right, right. Got it. Very, very important that physical nutrition as well. Um, If uh, some have asked, well, how many times a week should I practice yoga? So it's really your practice. So just like any kind of exercise, you have to create that puzzle for yourself. You have to create that routine for yourself. If you are beginning yoga or trying it out, I would say start with just one day. Start with five minutes of a stretch. And that can be even just waking up, sitting on the edge of your bed and breathing. That's practicing yoga. So for five minutes, and that's what I do every every morning. I put on a timer and I just breathe. It's important to take very deep breaths. So then you may want to say, okay, I'm going to find a yoga class and I'm going to do one yoga class per month. And you start slowly. And then you start to see how it really makes your body feel good inside. And then you want to possibly continue and say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, increase my practice. But you have to listen to your body. Your body will tell you what you need more of and what you need to eliminate. So yoga is a practice. It's your yoga practice. And you have to find what feels right for you. But just start. Just start by in small increments. Just start with the breath. Breath is very important. So, okay, breath is important. Let's talk about stretching. How does yoga stretching differ from other stretches that a person might do with fitness or preparing for fitness? Say, uh, athletes are stretching, basketball players are doing a stretch, baseball, you know, you're a gymnast. How does that practice, yoga practice stretching, differ from 
a sports stretching or any other stretching? A lot of times when you're doing just a basic stretch, you're forgetting to do the breath. So you're you have to breathe. That's that's normal. But deep breaths in in yoga is really important because again, when you bring breath in and you hold that breath and you hold that pose mm-hmm. more than a uh, one second or two second holding, mm-hmm. if you're holding it for let's say two or three minutes, mm-hmm. then you are allowing your muscles to get the oxygen that it needs to relax. So you need more of a time to say, okay, I want to absorb the oxygen and then now I need the oxygen to come in and do what it needs to do to relax my muscles. Mm -hmm. And so when you are going through a yoga flow, you are holding most of the time for a five breath hold. Mm -hmm. So you're breathing and you're holding that asana pose for five breaths. Mm -hmm. And then you're moving on to a next pose. So it's different when, like for example, regular physical stretching, Mm -hmm. you're one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. It's Which, which might yes. be different than even dancers are doing in terms of their stretching. Well, it's actually a little more similar because dancers, dance. yes, dancers have to hold. It. Yes, dancers have to hold their stretch because mm-hmm. they need that length. I see. They have to have the extension, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's what yoga gives you is mm-hmm. the extension. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're also breathing into an area, say I might be stretching and I'm concentrating on my thigh muscles, I might be also directing my mind to that area Yes. in terms of that particular stretch. Or correct. I might, might be talking to that area a little bit. Yes, correct. I, I, I was talking to my thigh <laughs> just then looking down at it a little off mic, but... Correct. And that's exactly what we teach in yoga. We tell you that everything all comes together, your mind, your breath, and then your asana. So you have to do to direct mentally your breath where you are tight. Mm -hmm. So we visualize where our breath needs to go. We direct our breath there and then we visualize that tightness loosening. Mm -hmm. So with every breath, we are mentally visualizing that release of that tightness. Okay, okay, very good. Now, some have asked, is yoga a religion? Because I guess because it comes from India and you see, uh, my introduction to yoga was through Kundalini yoga and Kundalini, you see them in white, kind of like uh, with uh, 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 Yoruba or something and you see them in turbans and you see them with beards and such and you see uh, uh, there's this set kind of looking thing or this reverence that that seems to be there and so people are wondering is it a religion so what i would like to do is uh, actually read a quote from deepak chopra okay um and it kind of answers that it says to answer the question um is yoga a religion uh My quote from Deepak Chopra, I look to the roots of yoga. Traditionally, yoga is the science of the self, 
Yoga seeks to help us understand our inner world through various techniques that include meditation, asana, breathing, focused awareness, and certain rules of behavior and conduct. If by religion you mean the religious experience of transcending, the loss of fear of death, and the emergency of platonic qualities such as truth, beauty, goodness, harmony, and evolution, then yes, yoga can give you a religious experience. It is not religion in the form of ideology, dogma, belief systems, or compliance. It's a spiritual experience that gives us access to a universal demand, um, excuse me, a universal domain of reality. So this is a quote from Deepak Chopra Mm -hmm. stating that you make yoga your religion, Mm -hmm. but it's a practice that you have to do every day. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to become something that you say that yes that's my that's my ritual my religious ritual then yes it can be your religion but is yoga a religion it's 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 a self transcending right right very good i like that answer uh some would also ask um or say well i'm not very flexible can i do yoga yes you can. Yoga, again, is the breath, the mental, and then the asana. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or it can be reversed. The mental first, mm-hmm. then the breath, and then your poses. Okay. So just like I said earlier, starting by sitting on the edge of your bed, closing your eyes, and breathing mm-hmm. is the start of yoga. Okay. And then... Sitting down and bending over and touching your your ankles is the start of yoga. So just being able to start a stretch wherever your body is and breathe through that will eventually with consistency, you will then start to see how flexible or more flexible you are but you have to be consistent okay and you have to start where your body is meet yourself where you are very good very good and it's interesting that you say that that uh, gets me into your uh bahia movement because you do this thing in terms of wellness and fitness first tell uh what is wellness to you the well-being as it relates to yoga. Well, wellness is being able to, wellness is taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself inside out, showing others that you are mindful of not only yourself, but the universe. And I think that that's basically what yoga is. Mm-hmm. Yoga has your namas and your niyamas, and your and this is the and and it's like the Bible of what you do. You not only take care of yourself, but you take care of your universe. Mm-hmm. So that's being mindful and being aware of what you're doing for your body, and then being mindful and aware of what your actions or actions of others may do for the universe or how it can may it may harm 
the universe. Very good, so, very good. Thank you. That that leads me into now uh, that I question I've been often asked related to yoga is what is Om? What does that mean? Om is the from the Hinduism. Om is the highest sound, almost like a hallelujah. Mm-hmm. That 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 you can give. The vibration mm-hmm. that you get out of that om mm-hmm. is being able to align not only yourself but also your chakras. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um it's it also usually comes at as after the mantras. Mm-hmm. So every time when you're doing something, we close out from from either our practices or our mantras with the om. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's it's like opening and also closing or or completing or closing out the circle of what you started. I see. And and and, and setting a tone I would think to to rise up to or to shoot for. Uh, I know when I started yoga in the Kundalini set, uh, I learned that there are three parts of Om. Mm-hmm. And people don't get that a lot of times, but it's Aum. And that continuation of that tone does something, the resonation of the, that vibration and uh, that's very good uh, tell us some about Bahia movement and what you're doing with that and I want you uh, folks please get a pencil and piece of paper because we're going to give you some numbers and you'll want to get in touch with these folks so get ready with a pencil and piece of paper please uh, Fia, tell us about Bahia movement when did it start and what's your goal and mission with Bahia movement? My daughter and I, my daughter Nafi Thompson and myself created Bahia Movement in 2011, founded Bahia Movement in 2011. And the reason why we founded that is because we um, we both are dancers by birth and we've danced all our lives. And we've all, um, my daughter and I, have had some pushback around body image and body size. And we've both have struggled around not being the perfect body fit to advance forward in a professional as what they, the world would say. And I'm including the world because it is the world that has a problem around fitness and body types and looks. And so if we wanted to go into a professional realm, I've been told that you're just too big. Your thighs are too big. You're stomach is too big, your hips, different mm-hmm. things along those lines, wow. as well as my daughter. They're kind of cold up very, in that world. <laughs> very. Only if you can lose a couple of pounds, then maybe we can work with you. You have great technique, but you just don't fit in that body type. Mm. So I prayed over it, and what was told to me in my spirit is to create my own, and that's what we did. By here is... Um, root word from a Swahili and also Arabic language which means beautiful it is a female's name Bahia spelled B as in boy A as in apple H as in Henry I as in India Y as in yellow A as in apple Bahia movement beautiful movement so we have beautiful movement inside and out from the heart we 
make beautiful movement from the heart on. So we created Bahia Movement and it has been going very strong from since 2011. Our website is www.bahiamovement.com and um, phone number. We don't have a phone number, okay. but we you can definitely check out our website, and we have a email address, um, and I, I would like to also state that we are um, looking for youth. We have a youth uh, audition for our youth company, Macaulay Movement, which means extended version of very fierce movement. Um, again, it's a Swahili root word Macaulay movement and we're going to be doing holding youth auditions August 27th at Destiny Arts here in um, well in Oakland I'm in Berkeley in Oakland and that's again Saturday August 27th from 1 to 3 we're looking for the ages of 12 to 18 so please come through if you would like to come and dance with us hit her up on that email address folks she does a lot of things with plus sizes as well. Yes. So so hit her up on that. And we take, take all sizes. Good, good. Everybody, we won't turn good. anyone away. Afia, <laughs> thank you so much for coming and talking with us about this. You're very we welcome. We appreciate this. Thank you for having us. Come and... Uh, uh, or having me. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I know that Nafi is here with you as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Ron.
Now we revisit the term wellness and well-being. Achieving well-being has been the concern of philosophers since Aristotle and is in many respects the essence of human existence. The science of subjective well-being suggests that as well as experiencing good feelings, people need a sense of individual vitality to undertake activities which are meaningful and engaging and to which makes them feel good and competent and autonomous. They need a stock of inner resources to help them cope when things go wrong and be resilient to change beyond their immediate control. So we pause momentarily to enjoy just a little bit more of this sax music. Just a little bit more of this sax music. say that this is KPFA Radio, the show you're listening to is Full Circle. I'm Ron Thompson, your host. This is Montage that we're listening to. And we've also been listening to some beautiful music by Najee. So again, KPFA in Berkeley, 94.1, 89.3, KPFB in Berkeley as well, 88.1, KFCF in Fresno and on the web all the time, anytime, all over the world, KPFA.org. And we would like to welcome you back to Montage here on Full Circle. And I would like to, at this time, welcome a master chiropractor and a master of those sciences, Dr. Quayle Tutashinda of Imhotep Chiropractic and Wellness Center here in Berkeley. Dr. Tutashinda is also a very conscious and prolific writer and has authored his concerns and reflections in several of his latest books. When we talk to Dr. Tutashinda about his care and projections for the African-American community and the discussions of his book, one book, Whose Future Is It?, social controls, and the health of African-American men and boys. Second book, Never Give Up, a development manual for African-American men. The singularity, and this has really got me intrigued, the singularity is already here. An indigenous and grassroots perspective on our technical future, technological future. And also, it's our time the Ella Baker Participatory Democracy here in Oakland, California. And something else I'm kind of puzzled about, I really want to hear what he has to say on this nanotechnology, the indigenous wisdom and health, also the political consciousness as a prerequisite, volume number one, I might add, on African-American manhood, race, and legal history. Now, that's quite, that's quite a mouthful. And that's a tease because I want you to wait as we talk about chiropractic sciences first. Welcome, Dr. Tutashinda. Thank you, Ryan. How are you today? I'm doing well. Good, good, good. 
That's a lot of books you have, sir. I, I, I love your concern about the community. And I've been knowing you for a while, and I know that you are a very good chiropractor. You're a very good doctor. So, sir, I know that chiropractic medicine deals with the health of the joints, health of the nerves and the muscles. And it's been said that we are meat being held together by bones. I heard that from a, uh, from a practitioner at the Life College in Atlanta. Those are not my words. <laughs> but what say you related to that? Well, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I guess from a chiropractic perspective, we look at the body as a finely tuned mechanism. Okay, Chiropractic as a philosophy comes out of what is called vitalism. And vitalism is a philosophy that harkens back to ancient times that essentially says that within the body, there is something that animates it, something that gives it its life, something that brings it forth. Uh, in Europe, it was known as the Elan Vital, or the vital essence. Mm. Chiropractic calls it innate intelligence. And it would be very similar to what the Hindus call prana mm -hmm. in the yoga practice, as Sister Fia was explaining, mm -hmm. or the Chinese and Chinese medicine would call chi. Mm -hmm. It's basically the inner energy that connects you to the universe and from our perspective the interface of innate intelligence with the human body would probably first be electromagnetic fields okay and then concretely the nervous system hmm. and the place where the nervous system really interacts with the musculoskeletal system are the joints, particularly of the spine. And so that's where we feel that proper motion of the joints and proper uh, fluidity and movement, even more than alignment, mm. is all important in the proper functioning of the nervous system. I see. And without the proper functioning of the nervous system, the body is then susceptible to not only neurological disorders, but a whole host of functional disorders that make the person ill at ease. They may go into the hospital or doctor's office and still pass all of their exams and all of their tests may come back normal. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. functionally, mm -hmm. and functionally, they would still be ill or f not feeling well. Right, and 80% right. of the illnesses that most people deal with mm -hmm. are essentially functional disorders. Mm. Even heart disease really still is basically a functional disorder. Wow, wow. Taking wellness or well-being to another dimension, I'm hearing you say. I, I, I'm told that there's 7,200 nerve endings in the feet and these are running down the spine, right? This right. is this is what you were talking about in terms of the fluidity and uh, encased in the spine or around the spine. Explain that one more time. Well, from our perspective, in terms of your nerves, we're looking at the exit point of the spinal nerves from the facet joints along each si each segment of vertebrae going all the way down. Okay. Each side you have a main spinal nerve. Mm. That spinal nerve then has offshoots that go to the sensory realm and also to 
govern muscles and joints. Okay. And even going to organs. Okay. Mm. So when that nerve flow is impeded by the um, not functioning correctly of that joint. Right, right. Then whatever is coming out of that nerve or going into that nerve is altered. Okay. And over time, the accumulation of that alternative signaling Mm -hmm. will produce either illness and or at some point even pathology. Hmm. Okay. And for us, we try to catch it before it's pathological. We're in the realm similar to traditional healers who used the eyes, they used the feet, they used the tongue, okay. they used the um, features of the face, the amount of puffiness in the face as ways to diagnose um, illness before it reached a pathological level okay. because they knew then that once it reached pathological level, it was very difficult. Okay, yeah. so now we have heroic medicine to deal with that. Hmm. But it is still uh, better to catch it earlier. Right, right. And and, and as you say, the, the vertebrae is just, I hadn't thought of it as a joint. Is that what I'm hearing you yes, say? Yes, the vertebrae are basically are a succession of joints. Yeah. They're held together by joints on the side. They're held together mm-hmm. by joints in the front. They're held together by strong ligamentous capsules. But you want to think of it not as a uh, hard structure, although bone is hard. You want to think of the spine as a fluid, flexible structure, okay? okay? okay. It allows all the movements. The way the joints are shaped allow the movements of the particular areas of the spine. Interesting. Um, and without the joints, there is no movement, okay? Yes, uh, yes. And of course, the muscles then facilitate that. Yes. And what we try to do is basically try to make sure the person is at their optimum entombment in terms of their nervous system, in terms of their nutrition, in terms yes. of their musculoskeletal system. Yes. And then I try to take it on a little step further and try to even give the client an atmosphere where they can feel comfortable to address some of their larger issues. I don't try to address those issues myself, but I do try to make them feel comfortable to look and see how the life stresses affect their body Mm. and vice versa. Great, great. Now, you, your system, your approach, your chiropractic approach, you call Imhotep Chiropractic and Wellness. Tell us a little bit about Imhotep, who he was, and what that means to you, and why you chose that in terms of the door that you're bringing your energy through. Okay. Well, um, the formal history of chiropractic begins in 1895 with Dr. D.D. Palmer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I have to give him his respect on that. D.D. Palmer was a magnetic healer and spiritualist, and um, he, over his period of time doing magnetic healing, doing basically just passes over the body, he started being a little bit more forceful and happened on ways of adjusting joints and systematically fell into essentially uh, his, not so much discovery, but his unearthing of modern-day chiropractic. At the same time, you had Andrew Steele, who had developed osteopathy with slightly similar principles 20 years earlier. Hmm. Both of them are related to the European tradition of what is called bone setting, which also harkens back to essentially 
every indigenous healing system on the planet. Hmm. What we know as chiropractic is the manual portion of what is basically indigenous healing, okay? Whether they actually adjusted the joints or did deep tissue massage, you see certain aspects of manual medicine and actual manipulation of joints going all the way back to ancient Egypt. Okay. So when you look in... 1400 B.C. in a particular text, which is now known as the Edwin Smith Papyrus. The Edwin Smith Papyrus consists of 48 cases of physical and manipulative therapeutic techniques that were done in Egypt 14 to 1600 years before Christ. Okay. Okay? Now, six to eight of those cases are identical to cases that I treat as a chiropractor. Okay, which lets me know that the Egyptians knew the relationship between the spinal nerves and ner- and muscle function, the spinal nerves and bowel and bladder function, okay. a lot of things like yes, that. Yes, yes. Those teachings in the Edwin Smith papyrus, though, are oral teachings that finally got written down that harken back to three to 3500 B.C. during the time of Imhotep. Mm. Now, briefly, Imhotep was an ancient physician and advisor to the pharaoh Zosair and helped design that pyramid, one of the first pyramids, not the Great Pyramid of Cheops, but one Mm -hmm. of the earliest ones. And he was also the um, chief healer. Mm -hmm. And over time, he became more or less deified as the god of healing in Egyptian medicine. Mm -hmm. And... There's a kind of an underground movement even then to preserve certain teachings. You have to see that when large-scale civilizations clash with indigenous cultures, there's often a clash of ideas and philosophies. So they try to stamp out certain practices. Mm -hmm. That's been happening for thousands of years. So a certain aspect of the teachings that were held during Imhotep's time came out again during the Greek era as Asclepian. Hmm. And then submerged further on, shows up in different places in Europe as Paracelsus and different kind of um, underlying teachings that form a thread, continuous thread, I would add, all the way to today. So with that in mind, I wanted to give credence to essentially the originator of manual medicine, which in this case was Imhotep. And it also was to put a Western medical, not Western medical, but a Western alternative healing practice, chiropractic, on notice as well with its chauvinism with regards to indigenous peoples and indigenous practices as we take chiropractic around the world to Africa and India. It was my own way as at the time chairman of the philosophy department at Life Chiropractic College West, Hmm. of teaching students to stem their arrogance and their Western chauvinism as regards indigenous people and indigenous healing systems. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I can see you handling that very, very professionally and very traditionally. (laughs) I can see that. I love it. Which makes me want to take a take the left fork now and talk about some of your writings in terms of how it relates to the to the community and uh, I would like to talk about 
some you can't get away from the stuff that's happening today. You can't get away from the killings that have been happening, all the stuff that continually happens to the black community that continually happens to black men, the the uh attack on black men, black boys, because it starts in school and such. And yes, it's happening to all other races as well. But I want to hear your thoughts because black people have been under attack in this country for a long time. And before coming to this country, they were under attack. And you have, uh, you have this wonderful book and, uh, so tell me a little bit about what, where you're coming from, with whose future is it, social controls and the health of African-American men and boys? Well, essentially, um, whose future is it is, is a statement um, that dovetails on Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. And it basically takes, it starts at the position that she uh, raises around whether or not there's a systemic organized effort to use the war on drugs to subvert uh, basically black power movements in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that as a entry point into looking at the larger emphasis of health and the relationship of even technology of control, even going back to slavery times. Mm. Last night, and it was a very unfortunate incident that we saw with the shooter shooting five policemen. However, we saw also a interesting turning point in the use of technology in law enforcement. For the first time, you saw or witnessed, at least in the United States, I believe, a robot actually uh, detonating a bomb to kill a person. And it kind of marks a interesting turning point that we are moving into in terms of robotics and law enforcement and even the uh, future um, evolution of robots patrolling in our neighborhoods. And I guess for me, I raise these questions not from a conspiratorial perspective, but from a perspective of empowerment. Um, I came to writing out of my uh, involvement in the black arts movement. Okay. Okay. I'm... uh, 60, so I'm, I'm a younger member, but I caught the tail of, end of it in the mid-70s and happened to be personally influenced by people like Haki Mahabuti and Kalamu Yasalam in particular. Um, I lived in Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta and in New Orleans, and I worked with an organization called the Hidiana. Mm-hmm. And at that time, what those groups were doing and what the black arts movement people were doing. Mm-hmm. And we have many people out here too, like Marvin X and mm-hmm. uh, Obadi Shaka and others who were involved in that, Dr. Wade Nobles, mm-hmm. a lot of them. Mm-hmm. What they instituted was the idea of empowering yourself and validating yourself. Of course, doing your homework and getting skilled. But if you want to write, if you want to do scholarship, you can do it on your own. Mm-hmm. If you go on and get a PhD and become a professional academic, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you also want to be a lay scholar or an independent scholar, that is also fine. Yes. And the idea of establishing independent institutions and publishing stuck with me at that time. All right. Okay? I'm glad. So <laughs> when I moved here in 81, uh, my wife at the time, Rashida, and I, we, and with a group of other people, Pedro Nogueira, uh, Ayana, Atenin, 
um, who else? Ayana's um, a nurse. Uh, Ayana's an acupuncturist. Yes, okay. Um, uh, Aswan Boudreau, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Lennon Onaje, mm-hmm. um, Akila, yes. Nayo. Yes. A group of us, we did a magazine called Foresight. And mm-hmm. it was called Foresight, A Holistic View of African American Struggle. Okay. And what we were trying to do in Foresight was to look at the issue of health, wellness, as well as black liberation, including the deep urge for spiritual enlightenment. Mm. Okay? And we had seen our older brothers and sisters get shot down in the 60s and 70s. And we had seen our older brothers and sisters eat themselves and drink themselves into uh, oblivion. So some of us who were slightly younger, we on the challenge of trying to change our diets and to incorporate yoga and meditation. Of course, we haven't done it perfectly either. And much of the idealism, you know, um, has been met with reality. But those of us who persevered, um, we've seen the value in this. And that's what I've based my, my writings on. Interesting. That makes me want to ask you about nanotechnology, the indigenous wisdom and health. I think this is kind of the step that you're on or close to that as, as you're talking about this. But but don't let me think. You tell me. Well, I think nanotechnology is important. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, um, I wrote that book really in the context of my teaching in the Upward Bound programs at UC Berkeley and at Mills. I taught in those programs for 31 years. Mm. UC Berkeley's for 28. Okay. And I taught English, but I had ninth, 10th, 11th grade, and 12th grade students write on how technology, technology affects indigenous societies. And I had them do that because, first off, no one is asking the question of how indigenous societies are affected by technologies wow. or grassroots communities. We're used as victims and we're used as consumers. So part of my emphasis on that was to alert the students that this needs to be done and also hopefully empower those communities. Um, and that was the reason why I wrote that book. Nanotechnology is the next big thing. Okay, just in short, it is, is going to be as big as the Internet. It's a technology that will run through and in many ways control other technologies. Okay, and it's basically is working at technology at a billionth of a meter level. So if you can imagine just the size of a protein that could go inside of a cell. They can make a little nanobot the size of a protein that can enter a cell and do specific work and leave the cell. So that enables medicine to enter an entirely different realm, but it also brings up entirely different questions in terms of warfare, in terms of germ warfare, in terms of genetic warfare. Because yeah, I'm seeing it as a parasite almost in this well, sense, parasitical... Uh, what it ranges in all of those areas, the, the main... Uh, I mean, I, I, not only negative... Tech- well, the main producers of this is the United States military, of course, because you could produce a harmful substance that is endemic to a specific, not only population, but person. Yes. And have them inhale it. Yes. But on the good side, there are numerous incredible positive applications for nanotechnology from okay. water purification to health good. to materials. Good. 
good. Thank you for <laughs> bringing me back from that uh, <laughs> that little negative thing. Okay, uh, the political consciousness as a prerequisite to African American manhood, race, and legal history. Uh, tell me about that. Well, that Please. came about basically just as a consciousness raising tool. Okay, mm-hmm. and it essentially is a book that is going into some of the the racial history in terms of slave revolts, uh, some of the reasons, underlying reasons for white supremacy, mm-hmm. as well as some of the legal documents that have been used, where um, mm. the essentials and the various things that have been used, even from the Pope, to give license and credence to slavery. Yes, yes. I remember since you're saying that, uh, I, back in the day I had a book that wasn't highly circulated, but it was called uh, The Invention of the Negro, and it talked about how the Queen and uh, uh, Columbus conspired and set off on their thing. So that's interesting. They talked a lot about the Papal Bull at that time, about the Pope and and what was going on. So very, very interesting. Uh, I like this Never Give Up, a developmental manual for African, or is this only American men? Is this African-American men? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Well, this book, it largely grew out of my involvement with an organization that I've been involved with for the past seven years. It's called the Brotherhood of Elders Network. And it's an intergenerational group of African-American men founded by um, Brother Arnold Perkins, uh, Robert Wilkins, and uh, Woody Carter. Mm. And we've been meeting and gathering for the last seven years, and we're now moving into a nonprofit status. Here in the Bay? Here in the Bay, yes. Okay. And we've developed a curriculum. We've worked with uh, the Office of Neighborhood Safety in Richmond, California. Mm. And um, at present, we are in the process of moving into being a non fully functional nonprofit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The essays in this book came about as my involvement with that group. Okay. Okay. And it's basically a manual for young men to either do self-study or in a manhood development class. Very good. Very good. I saved this one for the last few minutes because I really want to understand the singularity is already here. What are you talking about there? Well, it's a vast subject, but in short... The singularity is already here is a answer to uh, Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity is Near. And The Singularity mm. is Near, Mr. Kurzweil postulates that, that in the near future, a computer system will be created that will exceed human intelligence. And that system will connect itself throughout the Internet and the Internet will become conscious. Wow. And that point would mark a singularity in the sense that a certain segment of society would then be available and uh, encouraged to have neurological implants and various types of upgrades merging their mental capacity with artificial intelligence. And then there will be a whole swath of humanity who will not have that. This book questions not only the premise of the singularity, but the lack of empowerment that indigenous and grassroots people have around even questioning it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Much too much at this late 
hour to to really get the greater understanding that I was looking for. Dr. Tuchinda, how can people get in touch with you? Well, you can reach me at Imhotep Chiropractic and Wellness Center, 3358 Adeline Street in Berkeley, California, 510-450-1095, Imhotep Chiropractic at gmail.com and imhotepchiropractic.com. Very good. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really wish I had more time with you right now. You'll have to come again, will you? I will. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Boy, and I want you to let us know how you're enjoying Full Circle, the shows here, how you like uh, montage. Please let me know. Give me some feedback on any topics or suggestions, and just give me some feedback on what I'm doing as well. Now, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Check out our webpage at kpfaapprentice.org where you can listen to our past shows and see photos of some of our guests. And you can listen to this show presently. I'd like to also uh, say thank you to our producers, our production and technical team. Our executive producer is Mrs. Mrs. Mickey Mays. Our technical director is Freewilling Frank Sterling. Our production coordinator is Miss Joy Moore. And our music, our intro music is by the source of labor. And our outro music that you're listening to in the low bed now is by B. Tandre. I'd also like to thank my board operator, Miss Sylvia, the board there. My technical assistant, Mr. David in there. And Free Will and Frank. Sterling. Thank you also to everyone listening. Please stay tuned for La Unda Baita.